0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the I Belong Here podcast. Please join us on this journey as we will navigate the world meeting fantastic women who are real scientific role models. Together, we wish to inspire the next generation of girls who dream about being scientists. Look out for our male ambassadors too, as they do believe in the representation women deserve and earn in science. Stay tuned for amazing guests, check out the podcast description for credits and acknowledgments, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our latest episodes.
1: And she said, don't you change, but I can't have these thoughts up in my brain.
0: Hi friends welcome to this new episode of the i belong here podcast today i have a really nice guest with me her name is alice hey alice hey so alice is a colleague of um well in the uni and also kind of building because we are kind of in the same uh you know science building if that makes sense so she's a cheesy student in uh the bio biological science school Uh, so we are part of the same Uni, uh, part of the same science building, um, and this is the first time we met, uh, but we met on, on Twitter. And uh, just to let the, the audience know a bit more about Alice, she's a final year GC student, like I said, in the University of East Anglia, in the School of Biological Sciences, and she works in Professor Wheeler's lab. She is investigating the role of microRNAs in Chernobyl's ne- neural crest development. In her spare time, she also likes to try and promote women in the same, raise aspirations of young people in science and generally communicate scientific research to the public. She has published articles in magazines and online, which have been read all over the world. So, this is so exciting, and I uh, I have a lot of questions about uh, your work, because every time that I scroll Twitter, And um, I see the frog emoji. I know it's you. (laughs) I know it's you. And I love frogs. I think they are so cute. So um, would you like to tell us a bit more about um, what your
1: work? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, First of all, it's great um, to to be here. Thank you for inviting me on to uh, uh, this great initiative. Um, So, yeah, I work with frogs, um, the African claw toad frog. Um, widely used in science for many, many years, many Nobel Prize winners um, have, have won from working with fog. Um, and I always think it, it sounds a bit strange, and yeah, I, I work with frog, um, but they are just great model systems for our research. They provide generous clutches of frog born that we can fertilize into embryos quite nicely within our lab. And we can study the development of the embryos quite easily because obviously they lay their eggs outside the mother mm-hmm. and just through looking at them under the microscope, you can see how they're growing, how they're developing. And as embryos, they are quite large and we can inject uh, molecules or reagents for experiments like CRISPR to knock out gene expression mm-hmm. using needles to inject them straight into the developing embryo. Mm, wow. um, is such a great advantage for most of the experiments we do because then we can get many, many samples quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's kind of the majority of things we do with injecting a molecule or compound and we're looking to see how the embryo grows, how it develops, um, looking for a phenotype. So if something's different in a controlled embryo that we've not done anything to versus an embryo we've done something to um, but the majority of my work at the minute is to knock out microRNAs using CRISPR, so mm-hmm. it's quite cutting edge, but it is actually quite simple at the same time. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that sounds um, like, so you have obviously the the frogs, they they live in, in the lab, right? You have them there, uh, you take care of them, um, you, I don't know, do they have names? <laughs> do you feed them because <laughs> they are um, you know they are is what it happens when you have a living system you know in the lab you <laughs> you need to really take care of them
1: <laughs> yeah yeah they were we're quite lucky we have a colony of frogs um they're kept in their own aquarium no. in a room in the uni um we have boy frogs and we have girl frogs um mm. but there's just too, there's over there's hundreds of them there's too many to name
0: wow yeah, yeah that's um, actually yeah, yeah i have more than 100 then it becomes a problem <laughs> <laughs> that's really really interesting so what is exactly that's um for example in your PhD, uh you said you were working with these um micro you know in gene editing so what is the actual final goal of of the project are you trying to i don't know work in a, a specific pathway or are you trying to um i don't know develop like a new therapy or are you just investigating some sort of process uh, in the frog as a living system because that's quite advantageous compared to working with cells which sometimes the translation in between uh, monolayers of cells um, and the in vivo system there is usually a big gap in between them so you have that advantage in in your in in everything really in your in the development of the project but also in the conclusions and the results right Uh, yes
1: so the microinones I'm studying um, are conserved, so that means they exist in many different species, they're exactly the same in humans as they are in frogs they're working in the model organism straight away it's much more comparable the results that we get um, yeah, so um, we're using uh, CRISPR, uh, which has just about really starting to kick off uh, in uh, embryo research um, but um, quite a new technique for knocking out and we're one of the first labs to uh, use this technique but definitely the first to do it in frog to knock out a microRNA and the reason we want to do that is because we want to generate a line of frogs that don't have these microRNAs these specific microRNAs so we can study in the whole organism what's going on and so we can learn what these microRNAs specifically are doing. So, I don't know if we said, so these microRNAs are really tiny molecules that can regulate up to one third of the human transcriptome. Mm. So they're like these teeny, teeny tiny molecules that were thought as trash, trash parts of the genome before, and they're actually having a huge role in not only embryo development, but disease development. So we're hoping that, by looking at what the microRNAs are targeting that we might uncover some genes that are implicated in disease development as well mm. and we can kind of build up a big picture of what's going on mm.
0: wow well, that's really interesting um and are the results like comparable to um because i know some some other uh, in vivo models such as zebrafish you know the those tiny fishes they are really used, for example, for neural development as well, because the results and, and the way it works is actually quite comparable to some processes in human. Obviously, it's not um, for some studies, for example, musculoskeletal, a rat or a mice will be or mice will be much better to compare with humans. Uh, but in terms of the frogs, they are also comparable to, to humans. In, in your case.
1: Yeah, because the processes we're looking at are so fundamental, and they just conserve um, across the vertebrates. So, mm. yeah, very comparable.
0: That's that's really nice. Um, if you don't mind, next time that you are in the lab, I really want to see these frogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really want to see them. I'm so curious to see them. I love frogs. I think they are super cute. <laughs> they're, they're
1: so sweet. I think they're the, the, the funny thing is when um, when they get fed they go into a frenzy oh. and it's kind of it's kind of like um they're just waving their their arms oh. uh in front of their face to like re all the food into that they're just wafting food into their face as quickly oh. as they can and they will kick other frogs out of the way oh, no. to push <laughs> to get to the front of the tank to get all the Bye. food first <laughs> it's, it's what, really
0: what do they what do
1: they eat uh so we try and give them uh uh, sort of a little bit of a mix just to, um, for part of their enrichment Um so they I think their base diet is uh, the protein pellets like mm, okay. they're kind of like fish fish food and mm. um, but sometimes we spice it up with uh, maggots Ooh, white maggots <laughs> so that's like a treat that we try and give them maybe once a month or once every two months mm. um, and then they, that helps bulk them up as well uh... <laughs>
0: That's nice, and uh this this might be a, a silly question, but do you actually um uh select the diet carefully for them does do you know if that changes any of the processes um that you try to study or or the, this is something like it's particularly used um for frogs there is like a certain protocol or guideline if that makes sense to to feed them with something specific? it
1: is all with guidelines um particularly with home office recommendations because we're working Mm. with animals we follow all the uk laws and regulations and the university rules um Mm. but also um if we if we change the diet that can change the quality of the eggs and then the embryos and it can mess Mm. with your experiments at the end we everything very on Mm. a time uh so if you walk into the frog room <laughs> One minute before the technician, before they're getting fed, you're gonna get splashed with all the water. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they get
0: they get nervous for the eat for the food. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, that's really nice. Um, so how did you came to this to this point? Have you always been interested in this animal model, or is this something that happened perhaps at postgraduate level? Um. Would you like to tell us a bit more about, um, you know, your journey? How did you came to this point um, uh, of your PhD? It, yes, yeah,
1: so it's kind of a little bit of a long story. It's kind of it's kind of built up in layers mm-hmm. and stuff. So uh, in school, I was very interested in in biology, mm-hmm. and the f- I remember learning about genetics in class and the importance of uh, mutations in the genome how that might affect uh human and my biology teacher name was uh, Bateman B-A-T-E-M-A-N and I remember she wrote it on the board and she said um, if if I have a single point mutation in my name and she just wiped out the letter E mm. and she <laughs> I've suddenly become Batman <laughs> and I'm just like what? What
0: just happened here? <laughs> like,
1: oh my god! So that is quite quite important. And then just yeah. like from then on, I was like, I couldn't get enough of it. I was like reading all the stuff. And it was just so cool. It was so cool. So then throughout college, I was really interested in genetics. Um, and through uni, I, I picked modules that were kind of looking at signalling pathways and things that were aligned to it. And I came across microRNAs mm. and developmental biology. Um, and I just find it fascinating how human embryo development is so complicated and it's so fragile but it is quite highly regulated
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I think because I'm an identical twin maybe unconsciously I'm interested in these things without realising.
0: Oh, you have a copy of yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I know all about like uh, impact of environment and nice. it's, quite, it's quite interesting so I first learned about microRNA's and embryo development in my bachelor's degree and then in my master's degree, uh again just picking modules around my interests that kind of built up more understanding, so some computation stuff. Um, meaning just really enthusiastic um teachers, lecturers, professors and so on. Um, and work I worked in industry during my masters, um I had the pay self fund and um, get through the masters um and then i i saw a technician job in uea uh working on, working with people on a micro rna in embryo development oh wow that's kind of like <laughs> i need that the stars have a line this, this is a thing yeah. um so i i interviewed and got, got the job at uea and then um, was, uh, coached by um a researcher down the corridor who'd interviewed me mm. they actually i have a phd position i know you would like to do a phd um so would you be interested in applying and i applied and then she got the phd and work mm. working with the microRNAs and frogs so i didn't necessarily set out um to work in frogs specifically frogs, yeah. um but it is, it is just a really nice model system to work with so i mean before that it was um I work with chicken nope. eggs and chicken embryos. <laughs> um so just stacks of eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think actually seems maybe more strange if uh, yeah. when you first walk into, you know, molecular biology sterile lab and then there's just us cracking open eggs like we're making our own. <laughs> 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 um, um, yeah. It's so very slowly learned.
0: Yeah. But it seems that it properly fits with with what you've been wanting throughout your career, right? Even if you didn't particularly look for studying in frogs. Um, it, I think it kind of, that's how the things go, you know. I work in tissue engineering, and I'm a biologist. I never thought when I was doing my master's that I was going to end up doing tissue engineering, you know. But it's kind of the way the things build up. Um, you keep, you know, taking this, this knowledge from the different... I don't know, master or undergrad or uh, technician positions that you've been doing. You kind of merge everything. You take from here and there, and then you end up with a project that merges all that. And uh, you become like so knowledgeable about all these things, and you become sort of cap- so capable of doing these things. So that's how the, the career evolves as well, just because... Um, that's something that I try to showcase as well in the podcast. Just because you start in one point, it doesn't mean that you need to follow that uh, tunnel or that straight path. You know, you can you can change fields here and there or stay always in the same one, which is something that a lot of people do. Uh, as long as we do our own right path, that's, that's the important thing, to, in my opinion. Um, and also, I love, you know, when, when teachers do this kind of stuff. Um, you know, when you were saying like with the mutations, your teacher was like, "I will become Batman." I mean that moment for you must be in such you know like oh wow, like mind blowing and I love when <laughs> teachers do that. I am such a fan of that. Um, when I was doing biology in my my school. It was my favorite subject because I remember one um, my teacher, my biology my biology teacher, was changed halfway through. I was not particularly interested in biology, but this lady came new uh, halfway through the semester, I think, and uh, she was in front of us and she started to rub her hand like in front of us, and she was like, okay. By doing this right now, I'm throwing my skin cells to you guys. Who does who knows what skin cells are? And I was like, What? She's throwing cells? Like how this is happening? Like what is this sounds really gross, but at the same time I want to know what's going on, you know? <laughs> and from that point, <laughs> biology became my favorite subject and I and I it's, it's it's still my favorite subject. So I love um when teachers thought that, you know, it makes such a difference in, in education. Uh, don't you think?
1: Yeah, and I, I can I can picture it in my head. It was a room. <laughs> what I, what was going on? I remember the the whole lesson. Yes, yes. Do you remember <laughs> all these years later?
0: <laughs> yeah, those things stay with you, uh, and I, I love when they do that because um, it can make a difference in how you learn about something uh, and how you will take that to a postgraduate study where you actually study because you want to be there not because it's you know mandatory education and then you you might become more se- And in postgraduate education you kind of become more selective about what you want to study so in theory you should be doing something that you love um, so it can make a big difference from from school right yeah
1: uh, you've got a lot more more freedom Um you can um, depending on what courses you're studying you've got flexibility you can choose them um, uh, you can sometimes even choose if you want them in the morning or the afternoon and mm-hmm. you choose. Uh, but it's, it's also learning about uh, independence as well because generally you're sort of transitioning into adulthood. Uh, <laughs> yes. Even in your mid twenties. Um, yes. you're still learning.
0: <laughs> always learning. It doesn't matter if you are mid twenties or early thirties, always learning something about ourselves. Um, and I think cheese these in particular they give you so much opportunities to grow uh as a person and, and you know and to to develop like uh, like an adult like you said i think it's i think it's such a nice um period of of our lives um stressful though and uh, it requires you know patience and dedication but i think it's i think it's beautiful um not a lot of people will agree with me but <laughs> <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I will not do it again, though. I am happy to be finished. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but I think I think it's beautiful. Um, beautiful moment of of the postgraduate um education.
1: Definitely, yeah. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece. Your journey. <laughs>
0: exactly. So speaking about the journey, you are in your final year PhD. So congratulations for that. You are almost there uh and also uh all my respect of doing this during the pandemic honestly and to all the gsd's that are listening to me doing this uh during the pandemic i'm gonna send my respects to all of them um the lockdown the first one because in the uk we have had now i don't know how many three two Three, (laughs) three um so the very first lockdown when the pandemic started it was when i was writing my thesis and to be honest, it came in the best moment because I was given time <laughs> to write, which is something that if you are still in the lab, you need to find the time to do both, and it's really difficult. It's it becomes like a burden because it's really really difficult. Um, so all my respects to you for doing this uh, during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, now you are in the final year. Uh, you have these things uh, settled about you know your what you want to do, what you want to study. Um, Do you have any plans in terms of your next steps such as, I don't know, postdoc or outside academia?
1: Uh, I wouldn't keep my options kind of open Mm -hmm. um, because you never know, I don't want to shut any doors and close off any opportunities and um, with everything that's going on some options that were there aren't there but then there's also new options that will be coming through. but my, I'm still really interested in, in microRNAs and embryo development. Um, mm-hmm. I've become, I've, I've worked with frogs, I've worked with chicken. I'd like to actually work with zebrafish as a model system.
0: Mm, nice, yeah. Um,
1: because some of the experiments that I'd like to, to do and learn, uh, I think would be best suited to do for working with fish embryos. Um, mm. Some of the work that people do with them just gives the most amazing 3D imaging, for instance, and you can just, it's just just such a powerful uh, tool that you can work with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've written, uh, so with the first lockdown, if it hadn't have happened, I wouldn't have had that pause to stop Mm -hmm. and think in my third year, where is this going? What do I want to do? What skills do I have? What do I want to learn? and What do I want to develop? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, and do I want to work with frogs for the rest of my life <laughs> kind of like I don't mind but I feel like the transition between PhD and postdoc is a good opportunity to maybe move sideways and learn new things and then eventually further down the line maybe when you get towards the PI steps you've then got quite a broad skill set to start on your own yes uh, research lab um, so throughout the lot. The lockdowns, as you've yes. had, <laughs> um, I had opportunity to then write write my first grant application. Oh yeah, the other week, um, win or lose, it's been. I've learnt a lot from it, and I've learnt a lot more about the scientific process. So I've learnt about writing papers as well. So, mm. um, which is something that I've been doing working from home at the moment, um, because because Covid you can't uh, necessarily we can't all work in a lab at the same time so Mm. it's kind of given that breathing space to think things through clearly and um, the the careers team at the university did these workshops every Monday Mm -hmm. um, during the first lockdown and so Mm. I just went along to those and learned about all these different careers like Mm. intellectual property and stuff like that that I just hadn't I'd heard about, but I didn't know that necessarily you needed a PhD to do it, or yeah. it's, it's recommended. Mm-hmm. So those sorts of things I'm interested in, but I think my real passion would be in the lab. I think just after having done it for so long, like the, I really, really missed being in the lab in mm. all the lockdowns, um, and I, I think it would be really hard to not be the person doing the research exactly, yeah. in the future. Mm. Um, so I think yeah, definitely the bench. Yes. Um, well,
0: um, it's amazing to keep the doors open, to be honest, because there is so many type of jobs that you can do at the bench. Uh, you know, you can uh, overlay postdoc contracts, uh, or you can even um, work in industry, always in the bench. Obviously, you you don't have the same perhaps stuff like in academia, such as teaching, or at least such a teaching focused. Kind of career, if that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, I think I'll say if you really, really missed it to be on the bench, I'll say that's a sign that <laughs> I'll say continue that path perhaps as a priority. I think it's amazing as well, this kind of um, make some time to reflect from this situation. Obviously, no one was expecting this pandemic uh, to hit us so, so, so hard. And that's what I gave my respects to you and and to other of my PhD fellows as well, or people that are listening to us that are doing, I don't know, maybe first year, second year, it doesn't really matter, it it disrupts um, your schedule and and your PhD completely. Um, Obviously then you can have the extensions, um, because of the funders have been actually really nice with that as well, which I think is amazing. Um, but it disrupts you, and, and it's, it's been hard times as well, you know. Um, so would you say, the, um, you know, stopping all of a sudden in the lab and then stay at home and then do, you know, do all these reflections, would you, even if you took something beautiful out of it, which is, you know, the grants and the papers and learning about it and think about your career and your perspective about it, would you say has been a major challenge in, in your GED?
1: Like, yeah I think it's been it's been a big challenge it's, it's been also an opportunity at the same time hmm. um, and I think there's, there's pluses and minuses to it. it, it stopped the opportunity to go in and do work but at the same time I had 12 weeks at home to hmm. kind of sit, look at what I've done and go through it properly exactly, and properly yeah. think and then plan so when we came back last summer hmm. I'd got all the experiments in a massive A4 dot, sure to be pages. I yeah. had by the time it had gone through the supervisory team. Um, like, uh, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Mm. I was so focused. I got a renewed motivation. Mm. I just felt so lucky to get out of the house and to be able to work. Mm. To just really, um, kind of go for it. But it was, I mean, throughout my PhD, I've been the only person in my PI's research group Um, it just it just happened that funding didn't come in when we perhaps had hoped it would so for the first three years of my PhD I was the PhD the postdoc technician I was it I was on my own everything yes so I feel like I've probably been less impacted on the social aspect of kind of um because I kind of knew I mean my my boyfriend at home's is a PhD student, so he's kind of got a lot of, he's kind of like preach, I know what you're going through, it's fine. <laughs> like, you write that thing, you do that thing, you work great, yes. that's fine. Yeah. Um, but it, it is quite a solitary experience to do a PhD anyway. Yes. And I think the, the big challenge was kind of working in those pandemic conditions, with the added time pressure the limited resources, um, mm. we've had shortages on all sorts of reagents. Um, yeah. and for me, it was, uh, frog sperm, which is the most bizarre thing. Like, you know, talking to friends from other labs all over the world, like, yeah. oh, what's holding your work up? Or oh, I can't get a delivery of this enzyme because they can't get it from this because that lab shut down. Yeah. No. I have to ration sperm so I can't generate as many embryos. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Kind of like, (laughs)
0: Well, each Um, of us, we have our own uh, shortages in in something, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. See, just having to be really resourceful and plan everything well. Um, But then it's managing that pressure of wanting everything to work first time because Mm -hmm. it it doesn't. And then you come back after a few months and and you feel a bit rusty again. It's like, (laughs) <laughs> exactly.
0: I was. I actually felt that, you know, the night before going back to the lab after the first lockdown, I was like, I was feeling weird. You know, I love working in the bench. I love my job. And I was missing it so much, especially while you write. It becomes really isolating. And I live by myself. So it was even more isolating, you know. Um, but the night before going back to the lab after those months away, I was nervous. I was like, oh my god, what is happening to me? I never get nervous about going to work, you know? So it was such a, you know, like a funky experience.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that kind of first day at school nerves. Yeah. But slightly different. Yeah.
0: Exactly, yeah. It was it was weird. And I was telling my colleagues as well, like, man, I'm nervous about going back to the lab. Like, I, I still miss it. It was nothing, any feeling about related to i don't want to go back it was completely the opposite but i was feeling really nervous like oh wow it has been such a long time and you know we we kind of went into the lockdown so impromptu if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. and we didn't was, know no so yeah. i remember that those two days when they announced the lockdown everyone was running around the lab you know Throwing cells, yeah, throwing <laughs> cells away, closing things, switching <laughs> on everything, and I was there. I yeah, was yeah. crying. I was like, "Oh no, I don't it's want to lose my lab." Yeah, it was so scary.
1: People were trying to. Yeah, we called it panic silencing in our our <laughs> corridor because people were like halfway through stuff, and there oh, was wow, some leniency. Yeah. Some people had like another extra week or two because like, uh, if everyone had gone home, you were the only one. That had and it was the essential criteria you could kind of stay on um and and we were like we were really worried what would happen to our frogs because oh yes there's uh i think we have three or there's quite there's a there is a there's a really great team of of people that look after them Mm. and so there was like the boss and then there was a pecking order of all of those but if all of those guys got wiped out or had to isolate for two weeks we then had like a pecking order and then me and my boss were suddenly added onto to it. And it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, this, oh, yeah. this could happen. Like, if they will get wiped out and it's all down to us and we're looking after all these animals.
0: Jesus, scary. okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was um, it was, it's so stressful, you know. Uh, again, I'm going to repeat myself, but that's why I said respect, you know, because it has been nothing that we were expecting and we had to, each of us in our own ways, you know, we had to... Um, I don't know. Get used to so many things without not knowing, you know. Even lectures in the uni, they had to all of a sudden learn all these things online, exams online, teaching online. Um, so yeah, really, really difficult. Um, but you know, besides these challenges uh, because of the pandemic, um, have you experienced, uh, for example, when you were mentioning that you were at the same time a cheese student, a postdoc, and a technician, would you have you experienced any particular uh, challenges throughout your career because that's something that I also want to showcase in the podcast uh because I want to I want to inspire the next generation of scientists and and, and little girls and young women to go to science but I don't want to make everything as a rainbow because it's not like that i don't want to i don't want this to be seen as a scary thing you know like oh my god you are telling us to go into science but at the same time it's really difficult that's not my point you know i want to you know give the real life and real testimonies about people that they go because we all go through different challenges especially throughout the gc Um so would you like to share something uh like that with us today uh,
1: yeah def- definitely um so yeah, I'm, as I mentioned, I have a twin sister, um, fiercely mm-hmm. competitive. Um, but I'm, I was the first person in my family to actually go to university, to even have the opportunity just to even go to the local university. Oh, okay. Um, to have the opportunity to study, to better yourself, to learn more, to follow your passions and your dreams was a huge, huge deal. So there was that little bit of pressure, like, come on <laughs> yes, yeah. you need to do well is, mm. uh, um but um and as, as i mentioned when i i had to self-fund my master's degree so uh i had to when i was an undergrad i had i, think I had four different part-time jobs Lord, that's so um, wow. across the different not n- never more than one or two at any one time mm-hmm. um and the The main breadwinner for me was uh I was doing children's science birthday parties and oh. like uh like um, in a soft play in your place and near where I lived um and we had like science exhibits so um turning into like Barney the dinosaur at the weekend <laughs> and in the evenings to like um was it was draining and it was hard um yeah. but knowing that actually it is a, it's a privilege to be able to learn and study. Mm. Um, but at the same time, watching my friends go home in the evening and watch a nice bit of Netflix while I have to go mm. perform, perform in front of like a, a, a scout group uh, about slime. Um, oh, yeah. It was a little bit scary. <laughs> but yeah. also, um learn a lot, but... Um, it, uh, people uh, working on open days at the at the university i hear a lot of people a a lot of lecturers are now advising students that they shouldn't be holding down part-time jobs because they want them to focus so that they can get the the best marks and so on and it's really finding that balance of don't uh don't do things to your own detriment because you you, you need to make the most of the opportunities while you're there Mm. but also like uh, if I don't have the money I can't come to the uni it's this kind of this little exactly. vicious circle and I, I was aware of a few friends that are in a similar situation um in my master's degree because hmm. at the time there wasn't government funding to pay the tuition fee yeah so I was saving as an undergrad to pay for the next degree before I'd even got the current degree oh, wow. um so that I think that was definitely the biggest challenge but I think it is possible but you really need to be motivated and kind of quite sure that that's where you want to go because yeah. it's a it's a huge investment in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as you look after yourself and you recognise when you're starting to get burnt out and yeah. sort of to look after yourself uh, a lot more, which I think people are becoming more respectful of in academia and it's becoming more noticeable. Um, to, yeah, you need to to find your own balance mm-hmm. and remember that it's, it's not a race if you want to take a, a year out because you're not sure which course you want to study that's fine your friends can go off and do in their own pace in their own time but mm. I remember comparing myself to my friends and say well they're not you know they're doing history or English and it kind of is everything's got its own roadmap and its own pace And it's just doing what's best for you at your own time, because your own situation, you're unique, and only you can do what's best for you, really, at the end of the day.
0: Well, I I completely agree with everything um, you just said, you know, as long as, because each, like you said, each person has a completely different situation, a completely different environment, um, different hopes, different aspirations, different, visions of what successful is, you know, Um, for example, I was also in line with what you were saying about this is not a race in academia if you want to take a year out or something like that, there's people that their measure of success will be to publish a lot of papers and to have a lot of papers in in high impact factor journals, like Really fancy magazines, you know, nature, science, cell, whatever. I mean, I would love to have a cell paper, don't get me wrong. (laughs) Or a nature, I would love to have that, don't get me wrong. But that's not my measure of success, for example. So I don't condition my career and my lab work and the competitivity in my lab work to have a nature paper or a really fancy, uh, I don't know, award or something like that. I measure my success in something else, like, I don't know, teaching, for example, keeping my students happy, or um, being happy while I do my experiments, uh, or I don't know, taking care of the cells. So that's why um, I like to showcase the, the testimonies of, of fantastic women scientists like yourself, you know, because you were struggling with all these jobs. Um, I cannot imagine what you went through. I, I was. I've been always really lucky to, to have the funding to, to fund my, my university degree, my master's, and then I started to get paid for, for the jobs, which is the what, what should happen, you know, but um, I was always lucky to have these things in my life, and I cannot imagine what you went through, it must be really stressful to to have all of those things and to, you know, put all those pieces together, and like you said, it was a massive investment in yourself, but I think you had a clear path of where to go, and it doesn't matter if those things were a challenge. They were worth for you, right? And they shaped your career and and, and yourself as well, your personality, perhaps your perspective about different things that happened throughout that uh, period of your life. Uh, And I think that's the beauty of it, you know, that's in science as well, that doesn't matter your career path. You will always go through these paths and, and, and challenges, but if they are worth to you, you will take something beautiful out of them because that's also how you grow and that applies to other careers, of course.
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. And, and like you are saying about measuring measuring success, yes, publishing well is, is really rewarding, but mm. if you're not happy, then the motivation dies back and it, it, it just... You then question well, what's the purpose of what you're doing, exactly. and and the the whole the great thing about science is you're the you're the one person in the world that's answering this question, or one of a small group, exactly. and you're privileged to, to to have some at times some very niche skill sets mm. to be able to answer those questions, and you you become a world leader on your 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 little bit your little question exactly. Uh, However small that might be, that little puzzle piece, Mm. you have to think about where that's going.
0: Exactly. And I think that's also something um, really pertinent to say, and I don't know if this happens to you now that you are finishing your PhD, because when I started my um, PhD, it took me like two years to get to, for my supervisor and myself to get the grant uh, because I was already working for him um, before getting the GC grant. So it took us a couple of years to to get that grant on play with everything, funding all in places and everything. And um, when I started the GC, I was so worried about making my project the next cure for tendinopathies, which is what I did on my GC. I wanted my GSD to be so brilliant, so full of results, so full of papers, and I think this happens a lot to first years, you know, it's uh, your baby is starting, if that makes sense, you want the best of it, you want the the beautiful experiments, beautiful figures, and I'll say that's really good, Um, and I will encourage students as well to get excited about the projects, but I think the beautiful thing as well about the GSD and about the journey is to uh, adapt to the situations and discover as well if your PSD was not full of these massive papers it doesn't matter because you got whatever x situation out of it and that nurture you, you know, and shape you as well and that's what I like as well. Each PSD is unique, you know, we, we go through so many different journeys and that's why I also want to showcase that there is not only one right path and there is not only one measure of success, in this case, talking about GCs. Uh, there might be many, you know, uh, I didn't get um, massive papers throughout my GC and it doesn't matter that it wasn't successful. Um, um, my thesis was really long. <laughs> so I, I did a lot of stuff, you know, that uh, it. Uh, now that I look at it, uh, it amazes me. So... That's why I also like, you know, when you you go to the end of your PZ, you become aware of how many things you have moved on from, how many paths you have crossed, how many challenges you have overcome. And it becomes more and more aware when you finish um, the PZ, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And you, even, it's like I say to project students I've worked with, uh, and you see the difference between the students that picked something up and it worked straight away mm. compared to the ones that tried a technique and it failed and then you to do it three, four times. Mm. The ones that it didn't work, they would have learned so much more about that technique. So much. Um, and like, I think the best example I can give is if anyone has ever had a PCR reaction, that <laughs> would not work, right? It's a rite of passage. Uh, and for me, it was doing PCR on a micron, just getting that microRNA RNA wow. had the PCR and if had that worked I wouldn't have learned all the hot tips and tricks and various uh, theories behind doing all the different conditions and stuff exactly. so negative results yeah it sucks it's a kick in the teeth because you stayed up late yeah. or you worked through a weekend or something um you were there because you really wanted that result you wanted to know the answer you're a little bit impatient so patience is maybe something that we could all learn (laughs) we could all learn yeah um
0: yeah i think um patience is something that we could all learn when we do the experiments you know uh and unfortunately it happens you know you go to the to on a saturday to the lab like right let's do this replicate and then you check the results maybe that day or on monday and it's awful (laughs) So sometimes it happens, you know, um, but that's why, um, you know, I'll, I agree with you, negative results and troubleshooting is something very challenging when you do a GEC, especially if you are not used to it, um, because science is not magic, you know, um, you need to put the actual, well, scientific concepts behind that experiment that you are doing, Um even if you use an automatic kit, there is so many things behind that kit that you need to do in your experiment, you know? And um, before I started my PhD, I already worked in projects that they were basically based in troubleshooting. Something was not working, you had to optimize it, you had to go through it many, many times, you had to go, like, I don't know, a zillion steps back and then advance two and then go another psyllium back again. So when I started my cheesy I was already prepared for it. Like, okay, I know that there's things that are not gonna work, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is also a challenge uh, in these in and it's something that sometimes uh, students have a hard time to to get used to it because it's so scary. Like, you never know how long that troubleshooting is gonna take, especially if you are doing something new. Um, you know, your PCRs, Uh, I don't know, it's, uh, I also optimize my uh, qPCRs um, on my PSD, and it was from monolayers of cells, you know, so it's kind of more accessible than microRNAs, but it was tough, you know, but like you said, I learned everything behind the probes that I was using, my primers, my concentration, my DNA source, my RNA source, I learned all of those things, you know, so... That's another example of taking something beautiful out of something that seems really stressful at the time, but you really care about it
1: yeah, definitely, um, and sometimes you even end up developing superstitions as to why that thing works. You give yeah. the machine a little tap on it when you press start because <laughs> that, that worked the time yes. before, and because just it's, it's wishing it on
0: to work exactly um so okay now we are a bit more clear you know on uh all the things that you were telling us about your journey your challenges um again kudos to you for everything that you've been doing i think you are amazing and a super nice and a super great role model for everyone that is listening to us um so thank you so much for sharing all that stuff um i would like to link on the last point uh towards the end of the interview um, linking with the small introduction that I gave of you um because you were sharing with us as well that you did that you do some uh stem campaigns and inspire the next generation of girls and obviously, this is the mantra of this podcast uh and that's what I also wanted to bring you here because I know on Twitter that you do a lot of this stuff um and i like I always uh watch you or if it's a video or something that you write because i I really like to learn from you. Um, So would you like to tell us a bit more about, I don't know, a specific campaign that you do or what's your whole vision about the Women in STEM uh, movement?
1: Yeah, um, so I kind of, as a a first generation student, I feel like I've learned various pieces of advice along my journey from other people Mm -hmm. and a, a real advocate for kind of myth-busting and raising the aspirations because for a lot of young people looking at universities, uh, they'll talk to maybe their parents about it and they'll tell it to people, oh, university is really expensive. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't even know how expensive it is now, but it, the, I was the first year group where the fees suddenly tripled and were £9,000 a year, um, which I know isn't as expensive as expensive, America, yeah. but it's more than that now, I think. And I don't even know. Um, so I, I understand that that's quite daunting and um, I like to um, I've been involved with different programs when where I've been at different institutes mm-hmm. to um, as part of like wider engagement outreach like communication teams they all have different names mm-hmm. I think it's really important to kind of go back to so I've, I've gone back to my old high school I've gone back to my old college and Basically, kind of tried to pass on that advice that I was given to kind of myth bust some things. The questions that the, the young people would have, maybe they wouldn't want to ask if their parents were there. The things they're worried about will be different. The parents are generally worried about financials, yeah. logistics, getting their child from A to B, and and, it, and money is a big, big part of that, and I completely understand that. Yes. Um, that, that's kind of why I went to my local university, because I could save money. It's great, yeah. Um, but I also, I also do things, uh, with, uh, I've I've spoken in things like kind of science Hmm. and our local science festival. So for us, that's Norwich Science Festival speaking about, uh, use of animals in research. Um, and, and I, we were very nervous going (laughs) to that event because we are very aware that this is something that people do feel quite strongly about
0: yes Um, actually yeah
1: um so we went uh openly and honestly and very transparently to say what we do why we do Mm. and how we've improved it and reduced the numbers of uh, animals used in research and so on Um, because i think it's important that um we we tell the public what we're doing with their money basically because Yeah, yeah For me, I'm funded by the UKRI, which mm-hmm. is essentially British taxpayer government funding. Um, so it's very important that we have that relationship with the public. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I kind of dip in and out of different projects and I try and um, so I've published little articles in children's magazines. And um, there's this magazine called Wonk Magazine. Uh, I spoke to the, the lady that created it. Um, to try to encourage teenage girls into science, mm. um, and she said she asked me about I thought, what was what was it wrong, and <laughs> I think that's kind of they'll probably think that's kind of gross, <laughs> uh, and like how how do we make that cool? <laughs> and, <laughs> how do you make that cool? <laughs> um, and we kind of kind of went with the Shrek angle, oh yeah, a fairy fairy tale, yeah. Uh, uh, these froggies are these little princes uh and oh. kind of, that kind of fairy tale angle. Um, oh, that's so cute. So I'm, I, I'm not necessarily working on specific campaigns. I just try and make the most of different opportunities like this to try and kind of myth bust and make sure that people know what opportunities are out there for them. Because even like even as a first gen student, there was different there was scholarships. Like I got money off my master's degree. For getting certain grades and all these different things, if you really want to work and get somewhere, there's yeah. generally and hopefully always something that can help you get there.
0: Yes.: Well, I think um, I think it's really important, even if you don't do any particular campaign. I think raising awareness is so important uh, for the next generation, you know because I think um, from an early age. Uh, And I still don't understand why, and I hope this this changes gradually. For some reason, from very early age, they teach us, society perhaps, Uh, I don't really know, that there are certain things for boys, and there are certain things for girls. And some some things are more associated with the masculine gender, and some stuff are more associated with the female gender. And this happens a lot with jobs. Um, And I don't know if you agree, but certain things like promotions, leaderships, they are more associated with males rather than with women. Uh, And I think that's why we don't see, we see a lot of women in high school, in undergrad, but not so much in the top. And I think raising awareness of all of this is so important. So it already percolates at kids' level, and especially teenagers, because that's when you start to develop your own personality, your own vision away from your parents or your teachers. But if they already educate you with that, it becomes a real problem because I I will put my hand on fire that there is a lot of young girls and, and little girls as well that they already go to uni or to high school thinking that they are not gonna fit in that particular scenario, and unfortunately, this scenario is usually science, um, because it's more associated with with with, um, with male. Uh, do did you agree with that? Or
1: um, yes, a hundred percent. I mean, it's not it's not just um it's science and it really depends on kind of your upbringing i guess to a point point. Mm-hmm. and i was quite lucky that my parents were kind of very open-minded and very encouraging they're mm-hmm. like if you want to do this you do it and we'll do our best to help you yeah kind of thing and i remember uh, at school i was really into football and <laughs> that was my first experience of real sexism and gender discrimination oh, wow. yeah. and i'm like what do you mean I can't play football? Yeah. He he plays football on every day? What? Why can't I do that? Yeah. And then I, I kind of naively, from that small experience, kind of built up the attitude like, no, I, I, I can do this and I will do this. And yes. Why not? And I think that kind of built up, started to lay the foundations for me, a slightly thicker skin. Like, I, if he can do it, I can do it. And I can probably do it better as well. <laughs> sort of thing <laughs> yes like, you will <laughs> so why not kind of um and having teachers at school with the same a similar attitude like why not you kind of yes. thing. so very lucky that i was kind of raised with those attitudes you hmm. can do these things
0: yeah well yes and uh, I- i'm sorry that that happened to you with um with football because actually yeah football is actually I will say football is one of the biggest things that is associated with boys uh or with the masculine gender it's not associated with women uh and I don't understand why like as a kid you should be able to play in whatever you want to play because you are a kid right you, you are supposed to do yeah. those things <laughs> and I think it's such a shame you know from such an early age you are already teaching or even if it's not your parents, you know, but your environment, they are already putting conditions on you. And I, I hate that for kids because it's like he or she or whatever pronouns they want to use for the kid, they're they a kid. They need to, you know, be free and be happy with whatever it makes them happy. Um, and going back to the, to the point of the science, I think that's why so many girls, they already feel judged even before going to the job, because also science sometimes is like, oh, you know, you need to be smart. You need to go to the top if you want to be a professor. You need to do this and that. And uh, that's associated with men. And no, like we actually rock in science, you know, as as females.
1: I I think... um it's a very good point I, um, uh, I went to a science conference and they had a, they have a woman's hour mm. uh, which felt cringy but I still went and it was <laughs> really in, really insightful because it was talking about the topic of why aren't women more women professors and so on and some of it simmered down to well you have a baby you're a year out and then you have the knock-on effects and trying to work around that but I yeah. think for me it's if you aren't as confident you're not showing those perhaps more masculine traits so a man is more likely to be kind of have a pay rise that yeah. that kind of stereotype and I think again having a boyfriend at the same level in his career yeah. seeing how he approaches things how I approach things and having had a male PI versus previous female PIs mm. you do see differences in behavior and I think it does simmer down to confidence
0: yes and yeah.
1: just asking and trying things that perhaps a man is just more likely to do yes but the the part of the conference was how do you as a woman uh, be assertive without coming across as aggressive now Mm. i find that sometimes women if they feel like an alpha woman and and generally if, if you have like a really confident woman some people are really like negative about that
0: Yes, like, I don't know why that, that is, uh, because you can even come across as braggy, um, and that's not what's going on at all.
1: Um, so sometimes women, I think, could be more supportive of yes. other women as well. So it's not just men, No. Um, but if, if, we're, if we create that kind of equal view and supportive environment, then it's more accessible for everyone.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, I totally agree with everything that you are saying. You know, um, also women supporting women is something that I talk with one of the guests from this podcast with Vera. Uh, she's one of my best friends, and we talk about that as well in her interview. Uh, because I think we also need that from uh, even from early age. You know, to learn how a confident woman looks like. Uh, what are the kind of assets that that woman has to be able to come across certain things that other women will be hesitant. I think that's really, really important as well um, because I think competitivity in between women is something that people teach us from very early age as well. And especially when you become a teenager, those things, they become quite defensive, you know, in between girls and other girls and you compare yourself with others and especially at that age, you know, that you don't really know who you are Um, I mean, it can happen in the 20s as well, obviously, like, when do you 100% know who you are, you know, I'm trying to say, it it takes a time, it takes time in your life, (laughs) you know, Um, so yeah, totally agree with everything that you say, and, you know, picking this line of um, raising awareness and early age, I have one last question to conclude this fantastic interview, which I've learned so much from you, I'm so excited, if you had, you know, the group, a group of little girls or young women in front of you, uh, did you have any words of wisdom for them? What would you say to them to inspire them to go into a scientific career?
1: Science is just, it's the best, it's the best job. It is. Uh, <laughs> in the world, you have, you can have, you, you get to do, you're the only person in the world that can do these things you have Mm. the tools the resources you have the knowledge and when you discover something you are the first person in the world to find that out Mm. and then you have the privilege to then go and tell everyone Mm. um and I, I think being passionate about that particular bit of science that you're interested in whether it's biology physics chemistry environmental science whatever you're interested in I think, uh, to reiterate something that I was told at uni by my my tutor, hmm. just don't lose the passion that you have in science, hmm. um, because that will motivate you to get up in the morning, to come in, to do all these weird hours, because yes. you have to, I don't know, take a sample once every hour for 12 hours or something straight. Oh, yes. and then you can go to bed and then do another 12 or something silly, <laughs> but... You're the, you're you're the only person that can get to do these things and it's a real privilege. And it's just the coolest job. You think up questions and you get to answer them. Mm. You've got such freedom. And it's like your own, your own little quest. Yes. (laughs) Every day. And it's, it's, it's not repetitive. Some of the techniques you might use, you might use the techniques again and again, but the questions Mm. are always different. It's always something new which can seem scary but also keeps it fresh and it's never dull Mm
0: -hmm. yes i i completely agree with you um and i think that's something really beautiful about science that every day can be different uh and your job can never be boring uh and i agree with you as well in my twitter bio i have a sentence that says love what you do or leave um because i think that's so important uh and i think it's an amazing um advice for the younger generations uh, i think it's gonna be really useful and i i've learned so much from you not only from your work you know from your uh little friends the frogs <laughs> i've learned a lot from them but i've also learned a lot from you and from your your past uh, your your career steps I'm so happy that uh, you share this with us. And I think this interview has been amazing Uh, and I'm so happy that uh, we got to do this. So I don't know about you, but I've learned uh, so much and I'm so happy that uh, you you are here. So thank you so much uh, for being here today. I hope you enjoy it. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm just so excited.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, It's a really great, yeah, initiative that you've got going um and I've been listening to the previous episodes from some of your previous guests and I've I've learned loads already from your previous guests as well uh and you know they're motivating me to Yay. And, and I'm learning things so it's, it's just great thank you so much for having me and she
0: talk, feeling magic and i always start to panic cuz i know i gotta have it these eyes they do me yeah. It's I get it's will you yeah,
1: the 21 that savage, you i just standing and she talking magic?